0: Hello and welcome to the Women in Sport podcast brought to you by CSM Live. You may have already noticed that this podcast sounds a little bit different. It's because I'm not at the Women in Sport offices, I'm actually under my duvet in my bed trying to bring some good sound quality to you and that's because we're recording remotely. We're all recording remotely because like many of you, we've been working remotely for the last couple of weeks due to coronavirus. And we decided to put together this special podcast because it's a very challenging time for everyone, especially those working in the sports industry. And we wanted to put together some uplifting and inspirational content. So we chatted to the women in sport team about their role models. They might be a friend, a teacher, or a colleague who inspired them in sport and who motivated them to believe that they can do anything as well as participate and get active. So we hope you enjoy this episode. We're going to be bringing more episodes over the coming weeks and months as we all try and get through this challenging time. And there's also a catalogue and directory of at home activities and work workouts on our website, which we hope you will enjoy. They're all specifically targeted at women and girls, and we know this is a very difficult time for everyone, especially as many people can't get outside. But we think it's so important that you stay active, especially with your family at this time. So please enjoy all these activities. Enjoy. podcast over the coming weeks and keep any of your feedback coming through at support at womensport.org becky do you want to kick things off tell us who the your role model that you chose is
1: okay so the role model i've selected is dame catherine granger um obviously great britain's most decorated female olympian of all time she's been at five different olympics and the reason why I find her a particularly inspirational character is because she is kind of the embodiment of perseverance, I suppose. She got silver three times and she still went back in London 2012 and fought for that gold, which she ultimately got in the double scar. I kind of didn't really get into sport and fitness until the Olympics in 2012. And so I was watching all of these inspirational women um, during the London Olympics and she just really stood out for me I'd done a little bit of rowing at university and nowhere near her kind of level but she's just somebody who kept going she had this goal in mind and she didn't want to give up on it
0: and is there anything in particular that 2012 and, and her involvement sort of inspired you to do Did it did it motivate you to take up any new sport or get back into a sport
1: Yeah, so that was when I started doing the couch to 5k, um, started running basically, because as an asthmatic I'd always kind of thought that running wasn't for me, I'd done it a little bit in the past, obviously at school, and then when I was doing um, rowing and other things at university, running was always part of training, and I was always like, oh I can't do this, I'm an asthmatic, running is is not good for me, Um, but I suppose I thought, you know, perseverance, I'll give it another go, and yeah. Look what happened. I've ended up running various different half-marathons and other things since then. So, don't give up, I suppose. That's what, what she kind of inspired in me.
2: Yes, um, there's lots of role models that, that inspire me even now. People like Dina Asher-Smith. But I wanted someone from my childhood. And um, back then in the 80s, Cathy Cook, the British sprinter, um, stood out as, as easily the breast British athlete of her generation and um, and probably even to this to, to this day really because she set records at 100 meters 200 meters and 400 meters that have, have only been beaten in the last few years um, back then there wasn't the, the the funding that we have today there was no sky sponsorship we didn't have um, lottery funding so it was genuinely an amateur sport and you regularly would hear athletes talking about the difficulties of holding down a job at the same time as training in their spare time Um, and at the same time particularly in women's athletics there was obviously state sponsorship of the sort of East German team that was always ridiculously strong every year and the big American team and it felt like it was very difficult for anyone to compete against them and yet we had a British sprinter who was was winning Olympic medals and and beating them in turn, not not necessarily all at the same time, but but was genuinely competitive, and that was just quite inspiring to show that you you could be a normal person and manage to compete against them. So that's why that's why I, it was a, a role model for me back then.
0: And is there any? Anything about her specifically that really kind of inspired you to take up any activity?
2: Um, yes, I, I, was, I wasn't very big at that age. I certainly wasn't confident or talented um, in, in terms of, you know, being able to kick a football in a straight line, that sort of thing. But I was quite quick. Um, so I did a bit of athletics and, and athletics were on television all the time. Um, and it was just inspiring that someone could be, I don't like the phrase, but I can't think of another way of wording it. A normal person competing against very muscular athletes at a time when drugs was quite, quite prevalent, um, and showing that you could still compete. And then there was a sort of human angle as well, in that she was clearly the, um, the the go-to person for the TV for interviews, the 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 main star of British athletics at the time, and just came across as a really down-to-earth and inspirational person. So it just showed that you, you could be a normal person and still achieve success.
3: I kind of struggled with this a little bit, um, because when I think of a role model, I think of someone who like, has actually made me change the way I do something. Um, and when I was growing up, I think I had quite a sheltered like upbringing from sports on TV. I had two older brothers, so all the sport I saw was basically football, um, and that wasn't, didn't seem very relevant to me. Um, so my two role models are very personal. Um, my first role model is my oldest brother, Chris. Um, he went to uni and started playing lacrosse, and he had such a great time of it. He did really well. He eventually made the Wales national team, um, and I kind of wanted to emulate that when I went to university. So he really encouraged me and influenced me to kind of take that step to starting playing lacrosse. Um, and then when I started playing lacrosse, I really got into running. I kind of went through this journey where I start going from Ten Ks to half marathons to ultra marathons. Eventually, with all the support of my family around me, and when I started running ultra marathons, I met this woman called Raven who supported me throughout throughout my first ultra marathon, which is quite a scary experience because you have to not only run really far, but you have to orientate yourself. You have to follow a map in the countryside, and it's a lot of skills that I had definitely not developed at that point. Um, and Raven was this, like, completely kick-ass woman who ran ultramarathons every other weekend. She was a prison officer, so she was, like, tough as anything. And she just really, like, inspired me to, you know, keep running, keep enjoying exercising, not be put off by other people telling me that I couldn't have a job and run so much. Um, and she's kind of, like, stayed with me throughout my, my, my running journey into becoming what I, what I have now. Awesome. Ian, Becky, anything you want to ask Beth about that pick?
1: Yeah, I think I was just going to say, I think it's really, really interesting and really lovely that there are people that are close to you that are these inspirational role models. Do you think they realise that they're a role model to you? Is it something that they consciously do, or is it just kind of a natural part of their behaviour?
3: I think it might be a natural part of their behaviour, but I do think people are more willing to, but might implicitly become a role model when they themselves have experience having a role model. Um, I know that, like, with Chris, he had people who influenced him to play lacrosse when he went to uni. Um, with Raven, she had something similar. So the fact that they benefited from having a role model, then they kind of, like, knew that passing on that, their experience would also be beneficial. Um I don't think they're aware that they influence me in this way um but yeah I also think um having a role model it's really it's really relevant to like the stage of life you're at and like the timing of when those role model appears are, is really important like at the moment I, th- I think like people like Dina Asher Smith absolutely incredible but because I'm kind of like I'm just it hasn't she isn't inspiring to me at the right stage like at the moment in time I don't think oh I'm I could take up athletics and be a a sports star or like you know do a first class university okay. degree to go hand in hand with that but for girls like teenage girls right now like she's the perfect role model for them because she can directly influence them to start a sport like with Sophie Power for example like as an ultra marathon runner like she is someone who I think is absolutely incredible but then with the whole fact that she you know she was breastfeeding while she had just you know during during her um ultramarathon I think is 106 miles and perhaps in a few years time when I'm like contemplating having children I could always think well Sophie Powers could run a 106 mile ultramarathon whilst breastfeeding then why can't I run a 5k whilst breastfeeding sort of thing um so I think like at those different stages of life then these are all these people who are really inspiring just become just take up that place of a role model
4: the role model that I can think about in sport for me is an Australian woman, which probably isn't surprising given that I am indeed Australian myself. Uh, she is an Aboriginal tennis player called Yvonne goolagong Corley, And what's remarkable about Yvonne Goolagong, as she was known at the time, I think, uh, was that she was, um, she was Aboriginal and she was a woman and she was an outstanding tennis player. And being an Aboriginal person in growing up in rural um, or in country town, New South Wales, or country towns in in Australia, was a was a difficult time. Aboriginal people were not given um, were not afforded the same luxuries as white people. They were they faced heavy discrimination. They'd relatively only recently been given the right to vote. It wasn't a it wasn't a great time. I wouldn't have said for um, to 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 be a woman, an Aboriginal woman, and no less to be an Aboriginal woman who wanted to play sport having said that um, Australia had had some amazing tennis players and some amazing women's, women's tennis players so at least that paved the way for Australians to believe that that women um, could indeed be good at tennis um, Yvonne Gulligan was amazing she um, she won fourteen grand slams she was the first she won Wimbledon after she became a mother which I think hadn't happened for over 60 years which in itself is, is amazing like when I think about myself as a mother the idea of training for and putting my mind to winning something as prestigious as Wimbledon having had my children is just beyond comprehension uh, she she also um I, I think she's done a lot to support tennis and to support Aboriginal kids staying in school since she's, um, since she's retired from tennis. And she's been a really amazing role model, I think, for, for that community and for other people um, who just enjoy getting out and playing sport.
5: So hi, I'm um, I'm Heather. I look after the innovation team at Women in Sport, um, and the role model that I've chosen to talk about um, is actually my mum. Um, so the sport that I uh, play and have played for sort of around 20 years now is um, rugby, and I was really lucky to um, come from a very active family. So we would always go on active holidays, we did a lot of cycling, a lot of walking, um, would always kind of be out and about in the uh, in the Sussex countryside when I was growing up. So always had a very active um, upbringing and. When I got to my teenage years, in the same way that a lot of teenage girls do, um, I found that life was kind of happening and there was a lot of other things going on and I'd started to uh, drop out of sport a little bit. I was still taking part in kind of PE and um, maybe the odd enforced family bike ride at the weekend, but definitely uh, was kind of losing my way with some of the things that I'd would i done when I was younger. Um, and my mum at the time was... Um, Also going through a lot of life changes, so um, her and my my dad had kind of split up around that time as well. Um, So she was looking for something new and she said to me one day that she would give rugby a go if I gave rugby a go. And at that time she was 47. Um, so not the typical age of your uh, your women's rugby player, um, but she knew that it would be really good for me. Um, but also, I think she knew it would be really good for her as well. Um, so she played for two seasons um, out on the wing. Uh, we did have a game where it was uh, her, myself, and my sister all on the pitch uh, at the same time, which was a pretty special moment. Um, but I think the thing that I kind of really wanted to talk about was how I saw everything that she got from sport outside of just the the kind of physical benefits of taking part really so before all of that before she got me on the pitch she um, was really actively involved with my brother's rugby team she was the kind of secretary on the uh, the committee. Um, she would help out with kind of physioing, would go to all of the games and had very much become part of the kind of social circle of parents that surrounded that team. And I think she saw then the kind of real benefit that sport could give outside of just taking part. And I definitely saw that through her eyes as well. Um, and then when I started playing um she uh also kind of physioed for for me and, and some of my teams because that's that's what she did as um her day job um and so, yeah, I think that the way she was a role model for me was, I mean, she got me into the sport, which obviously had a massive impact. But actually me kind of seeing somebody else get so much from sport um, and through kind of volunteering, giving back was really important. So, I mean, she made so many friends, whether it was through my the, the parents on my brother's team or the women that she played with um, on our rugby team and just that real sense of community and and especially at a time when she was going through a lot of change and needed quite a lot of support she I'd say she definitely got that from sport whether whether she was playing or volunteering so um yeah I, I can definitely recognize um understanding the importance of sport um and and the impact that that could have on my my life by watching her I think as well the kind of sense of purpose that it really gave her and and in terms of her job and being able to do more around physioing in a sports arena again that that kind of helped develop her personally and professionally and that also really resonates with me I mean I've ended up with a career in sport so um, there's definitely something that I kind of saw there as an opportunity. and I think I also really learned the importance of volunteering and giving back to sport, that sport doesn't just kind of magically happen and it needs dedicated, committed people to really drive it. Um, and, and that is vital to keeping the sport going, but also really vital to the people that are doing that as well. It can um, give them so much within their lives. So. Yeah, I think she was definitely a role model in terms of um, it not mattering what age you are or how good you are. And that, you know, you can you can put all of those kind of fears and worries aside and just go for something. Um, But also in terms of the way that I think about sport now as it being not just about the competition or the taking part on the pitch, but actually everything else that it can give you uh, within your life. Um, yeah, reflecting definitely in terms of a role model for that. There, there isn't anybody bigger in my life. I definitely learned all of that um, from my mum.
0: So that was part one. Now let's hear from Emma, Liz, Harini and Lee.
6: So I picked Kelly Holmes. Um, and the reason why I chose Kelly Holmes, um, I mean, Partly back in the day, I was an athlete, I was a middle distance runner. So, um, you know, she's obviously a middle distance runner too. But at that time in my life, um, I was a teenager and, you know, seeing her as an athlete, she was and is still so physically strong. Um, And to see a female athlete, you know, her strength coming through. She's also really, really gritty um, in terms of her determination, and you know when she competed. Um, so seeing that in a, in a female athlete, you know, was kind of real role model for me. Um, she also uh, was in the army, which at the time, you know, I loved that a very male-dominated environment that she was obviously in. Um, but also it related to me because I had considered, you know, again, um, I was a teenager, so I had considered myself about going into the army back then. Um, so that really, really resonated with me. Um, but in terms of Kelly Holmes as well, you know, it it just didn't come easy to her to kind of win the medals. And, you know, we think about her now as, as this double Olympic, um, medal winner, but actually it took a lot to get there. So, um, you know, she won, she won a silver and bronze medal in the 1995 World Athletics Championships. Um, But, you know, the Olympics, the the year after, she didn't medal at all. She was kind of struggled with injury. She had a lot of challenges there. Um, In 2000 at the Olympics, she got a bronze, but it wasn't until 2004 that she won her two Olympic gold medals. So, you know, from being a world championship medalist in 1995, it took her well over nine years to kind of finally achieve that ambition of being an Olympic gold medalist in the 800 and 1500 metres. So all those challenges she went through over those years of injuries and keep trying and keep battling to get back, you know, it was so impressive to see her kind of work and keep working. You know, it just never kind of was... Plain sailing um and actually it was only sort of later down the line when she released her autobiography that you realize how difficult kind of it was for her and the kind of personal challenges she went through to to keep going and and achieve you know what she did um, so yeah definitely for me Kelly Holmes a, a massive role model
0: and you said you mentioned that um her Distance, middle distance um events was something that was really relatable for you did that inspire you to to work harder at your running or did that inspire your participation in any way
6: um I'm not entirely sure because I think we talk about obviously at women in sport the relatability aspect and she was phenomenal I could only dream of being that good so I don't know whether it made me work harder to think that I could yeah I could achieve what she achieved um you know I think there's kind of people closer to home that made me made me see that you know to keep training harder and things like that but actually I suppose just in the grand scheme of thinking that British athletes could be up there and and be on this world stage and win medals um you know probably deep down it it did kind of encourage me in in that way.
0: And do any of you guys have anything you want to ask Emma
7: on her pick? I have a question just on that observation, Emma, about sort of seeing British athletes up there. I mean, I'm curious as an American, if that's something that took a long time for people to see, if you, know, if you felt like British athletes weren't always at the top and if that changed at any point and you realised it's changing.
6: Hmm, Good question. Um, I don't know, I think maybe in my generation, you saw a lot more um, in the middle and longer distances, people from the African nations winning medals. Um, I mean, maybe not so much the the 800. Um, But yeah, and I think also just women, over the years in the olympic teams the percentage of participants that are women um, has gone up and up so actually you know going back only not that many olympic games there just wasn't that many women in the team full stop so i think just seeing british women on that stage competing at that level um you know was hugely positive
7: so As an American who loves gymnastics, I think I do have to start out by giving a shout out to Simone Biles, who is just incredible. I could watch her gymnastics routines all the time. Um, She's got four really difficult moves named after her. And I think she gave the world one of the best feminist quotes when she said, I'm not the next Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps. I'm the first Simone Biles. So I love her. But I did want to Dig a bit deeper and talk about three women who've changed sports for women across the world, but probably haven't really been heard of by most people. Their names are Linda Lindahl, Polly Palmer Smith, and Hinda Miller, and they're the three women who invented the sports bra. So in 1977, Linda had taken up running, and she's running about 30 miles a week, so considerable amount of time to be out running. And she had epilepsy and she said that running really helped her sort of connect with her body in a way that she hadn't been able to. So she didn't want to stop running, but she was in a lot of pain because she didn't have the right support. And you know, I think as most women know, if you're exercising without a proper sports bra, you can get shoulder pain, you can get neck pain. And then, of course, you know, your breasts can hurt themselves because they're bouncing up and down. Um, so... She looked around and she couldn't find a solution already on the market, because it didn't exist yet, um, so she thought about making her own. And when she was sitting down to design it, her husband jokingly put a jockstrap on his chest and started walking around. And she looked at it and she thought, well, maybe that's not such a bad idea. So she started with two jockstraps sewn together, and that was sort of the prototype. Um, I mean, I think fortunately for us, her friends Polly and Hinda were actual costume designers. And so they then got involved and made it a little bit more sophisticated than two jock straps. Um, they went out and bought some material with lycra in it, which was a new thing at the time, and really enabled them to design something that was stretchy but also worked to give a lot of support. And they called it the jog bra not the jock bra, which was the original joke, but the jog bra. Um, When they went out to market it, though, they didn't want it to be considered lingerie, so they didn't go to the department stores. They went to sporting goods stores. So mostly these were small, independently owned shops owned by men, and it took some convincing because, of course, the men didn't really understand why women would need a bra for exercise. So she leaned heavily on the analogy with the jock strap, to try to explain it to them and ultimately said, well, do you have women shopping here? And when they said yes, they suddenly realized that they could actually earn a lot of money if they put these sports bras on the shelf. So that's how the first sports bra was made. Um, it's now a $7 billion a, year, $7 billion a year industry. And this May, all three women, Hinda, Linda, and Polly, will be inducted into the U.S. National Inventors Hall of Fame to recognize this achievement. So I think this is a pretty amazing thing. It's inspiring to me that these women didn't just see the problem and accept that that was how things were, that they went out and solved the problem and then got it out to other women as well in in an environment in the 1970s that wasn't particularly... I mean, things were changing. Feminism was important and growing, these sporting goods stores weren't sort of the hub of feminism. So it did take a fight to get it out there. But because of them, women everywhere can exercise much more comfortably. And actually in the U.S., between Title IX, which passed around the same time, and the invention of the sports bra, women's participation in sport in that country went up 450%. So clearly it has an enabling factor that lets a lot of us do things we wouldn't otherwise be able to do.
0: That's amazing. I'd literally never heard of, of those women without it seeming like a really obvious question, um, given we know how how history works. But why do you think they haven't had, you know, haven't become so famous and their names are, are, have been sort of forgotten?
7: It's a good question. I mean, I think it's probably partly because, other much larger companies jumped on the bandwagon pretty quickly once they realized it was a good way to make money. And so that, I mean, they were eventually bought out by one of the big companies. I can't remember which one. So I think that's partly it. And then there's also of course an element of sexism, you know, it's, you know if there's a reason we see women taken out of a lot of history, and now we see all these great books about forgotten women in history, forgotten women leaders. We're starting to reclaim our own history as women, but they've been whitewashed from a lot of history and sort of ignored. And this might be a case of that as well.
0: Any of you guys have any questions for Liz? Liz,
8: that is so fascinating. (laughs) Uh, Unbelievable. And you're so absolutely right that you wouldn't actually think that's something. I'd never stop to think about how important a sports bra is in terms of exercising. And it makes me wonder what other inventions that women have created that could have been claimed by men or forgotten or, I mean, by mostly by big industries coming in and claiming it and then whitewashing you know who invented something absolutely that's that's just fascinating i wonder if there's anything else that's out there that can be traced back that that's just an observation that i'd never ever thought about it in the in that way that's fantastic
7: maybe Um, our next podcast should be about inventions that by women that we didn't know we couldn't live without definitely definitely
6: I I agree like I'd never heard that before Liz that was so interesting um and it just reminded me of a few weeks ago when I was reading with my daughter a book about um great women in history and I was reading about uh Coco Chanel and my thoughts of and understanding you know wrongly about coco chanel is the perfumes you know Mm. chanel that's and and the the fashion industry but actually she contributed a huge amount to actually um women's leisure wear and being active um you know kind of using lightweight materials so that women could swim more comfortably and um you know kind of designing uh active wear for women and I'd never known that about um Coco Chanel and kind of how at the forefront she was of of helping kind of change modern fashion as it was back then to go alongside how women's lives were changing um Mm -hmm. so yeah really fascinating Liz
8: so i decided on a lady that i think nobody's probably heard of um she is a sri lankan named susanthika Jai singha who won a bronze originally at um, the olympics in 2000 and was subsequently awarded a silver medal i can't uh, begin to explain to um you what um what an achievement it was for her to have won an olympic medal she's the first female athlete from sri lanka to win a olympic medal there's only been ever been two athletes who have won olympic medals for sri lanka and she's won and for me what was really gripping about her um, is the fact that she came from such a poor disadvantaged background. So she comes from a extremely rural poor family in Sri Lanka. And I was just looking up um about her and she the they say when she was going growing up, the actual cost of a pair of shoes was more than what the family earned in a month. So if you can imagine somebody who was just did that and faced so much um, pressure, probably from family, culturally, um, and the grit and determination it took her to actually compete on a world stage, forget about winning a medal. Um, It's quite an amazing and inspiring story. Um, she battled through poverty, but also she had to make a choice. So she started winning medals uh, in Commonwealth and athletic championships for Sri Lanka, and then she had to make a decision to go to Los Angeles and train. And she got uh, she didn't have any funding, so she got into debt and um, made it to the U.S. and trained and did all of that. And um, she. She couldn't even speak english you know she came from such a poor background she had no um no support and it makes me really sad to think that somebody who had so much talent wasn't supported by the government there was no money for athletics um or even to no sponsors and all of that and she managed to do that and uh, managed to win and um I think it's quite, it's really inspiring that somebody who can fight through everything and go and compete and make a country proud. I just remember the moment when she won. Um, Everybody was like, oh my God, this is just too unreal. Can't believe it. And there hasn't been an athlete like that since. Unfortunately, on the other side, when you've got somebody who was so superb at athletics and who did it all by herself literally Um, it's sad that the government here hasn't had the resources to support more young girls and boys um, into uh, participate in participating in sports in the same way Um, so that while there is investment in um, things like cricket in sri lanka there's very little investment in athletics and especially for female athletics Um, so it there are places in the world still and i think it's cultural as well here um, that the investment in sports and the value of sports is not recognized in the same way Um, I hope as the country develops uh, and more and more people recognise the importance of um, sport, that there will be more investment, but there is a huge disparity between third world countries and countries like England and US, USA in terms of what people can do and, are, um, and how they can sort of fund themselves to become a professional athlete. And I think it's important to recognise that there's so much more that we can do around the world to help young girls to feel that they can achieve their dream. And somebody like Susantika is really inspirational that way to know that, you know, she came, she managed to get there. And I think we should celebrate women like her who didn't have anything, did it all their own way with very, very little or no support and managed to get there. And um, yeah,
9: so I think um, she's really inspirational in that sense. So I suppose at this point, I'm probably going to throw in a little bit of a curveball, which has, has had the sign off. Um, but I suppose for me, I, uh, I was looking back and reflecting and tried to go back to, to when I was growing up. Um, and I suppose going to be quite honest here. Um, I didn't have a female role model growing up. Um, to To look at from from a sports perspective. Um, for me, uh, my my sport was football. Uh, heavily involved with it, ingrained in it, day in day out. Um, and I suppose for me, visibility was very male dominated at that time. Um, watching it on TV, um, watching it locally, um, it it was male. There there wasn't really much. Um, female football around for for me to to view and observe. Um and then there wasn't also those, I suppose, personal or relatable um stories f- for me. But I mean I don't I don't know if that was subconsciously me focusing on on male sports, whether I was um too ingrained um in, in male sports or whether that was actually um the sort of lack of support or exposure as I was growing up to females that that were involved in in football um i suppose sort of at school um had plenty of friends um who would participate in the likes of sort of netball and hockey um and then there there were a couple that that were were footballers um but i sort of asked myself that question maybe it was a mix of them all um but i suppose what what i can add and sort of a, a couple of sort of female individuals that, as I was growing up, were were visible, um, weren't necessarily um, role models, but the likes of Paula Rad- Radcliffe, um, the Williams sisters in, in tennis, um, were sort of more popular and dominant female individuals um, that um, I had sort of visibility of. Um, but Nevertheless, they were never sort of real major people in in the limelight. Obviously, with um, sort of track and road running events, um, and then the the tennis season. Um, generally, Wimbledon was the one that that I accessed at, at the time. Um, but I think sort of as as I've got older, um, I started working in the sports sector, and you become sort of more exposed um, to two female athletes and sort of developing those um sort of individuals and role models that become a little bit um sort of more more pertinent um you start to really understand some of the challenges and the barriers that they've had to to overcome on on their journey i think for me a couple of sort of observations that i've taken as i've grown up and sort of like i say that female um, individuals have become more um, visible for me is that willpower that they've all really shown to persevere through the various different challenges that they've had to face um, through, through sport, whether that be, um, as we've spoken around, some of the sort of lack of investment um, into them, um, whether that be through just contractually um, or sponsorships. Um, and actually, that that has... Potentially major implications um, to training programs, to access to to coaches, and really sort of push them to be at that top 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 level. Um, I think I I was reading um, some stuff around uh, Serena Williams and the training environments that she used to have to to train in um, as she was on her journey to to be one of the best. Um, training in local communities really really dangerous communities for, for her to be in on, on those hard courts um so it just shows that perseverance and that I suppose there's a lot of barriers that she's had to break there to to really get to, to the forefront of of where she wants to be and then I suppose from from my previous job one that was a little bit more um pertinent when I was looking at sort of that dual career element um of of athletes was um was actually a footballer um and it's Claire Rafferty how she was sort of managing um a dual career in football um and working um a day-to-day job and I think that's something that sort of sometimes is is overlooked for for a lot of females and how they're having to do a dual career just to get through in in day-to-day life because there isn't that investment for them um it's slowly as we say coming to to the forefront but um, financially they they need to support themselves um, but with that obviously comes plenty of setbacks um, through injuries and having access um, to to those type of individuals that can can support them um, and then I was trying to think of what sort of really triggered me something a little bit different um uh, aside to football I think one of the moments was um summer 2012 uh, the London Olympics um when Nicola Adams had her breakthrough um in boxing um it was something a little bit different for me um because it's a sport that I hadn't necessarily been that exposed to um and a female boxer really coming to, to the forefront um, and for me that was a um, sort of a real moment where actually I started to really um look for and seek um sort of that visibility for females and understand those different sports um, so yeah I suppose it like I say a little bit of a curveball there um but yeah hopefully something of interest
10: My role model is David Beckham. He has led a very successful professional career, captained the England football team for six years, most recognizable midfielder of his generation. Given his humble background, has led a very successful life both professionally and personally. His philanthropic work includes support to the UNICEF and the other support he's extended to many charities. Okay, so my first role model is Paula Radcliffe, who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest athletes. Um, she's been a role model to me as I am somebody who has got into running, long distance running, a bit later in life. Um, so I think that she is a role model for everyone, but um, particularly for a few different reasons. First one, encouraging people um, who, to exercise safely with asthma. Um, she didn't let having asthma stop her from achieving her goals and holding the world marathon record for 16 years. And she kind of encourages people how to to do that safely. Um, I think she's a role model to mums, um, juggling long distance running with her career um, and raising a family with two kids. Um, And also I think she's just being a role model to women as they get older. She's now 45 and although she doesn't um, compete anymore, she's retired from long distance running, she is an advocate for women of all ages to continue or start running. Um, So I think, yeah, those are my reasons for picking Paula Radcliffe. I really think that Nicola Adams is a great role model for women and girls. And um, she succeeded in a probably the most male-dominated, masculine sport, boxing, that you could, um, which can't have been easy. But look how far she's gone, um, and how well she's done in her career. Um, she's so she's a because she's brilliant at the sport, and b because she is inspiring and a role model to um, you know gay, bisexual women and she's a really strong role model for black girls and women to, to really kind of push themselves as well so that is why I'm um, Nicola Adams is a role model to me
0: Those were some individual soundpites from Claire and Divya now we're going to hear from our final group Wendy, Steph and Kate
11: Right, so I, my role model is somebody that's inspired me personally to be active. And actually, I, I'm taking you back to when I was a 14-year-old teenager. Um, and I'm gonna show my age now, because it was in 1988, the Seoul Olympic Games. And actually, it's a potentially a, a controversial role model because it's Flojo. Um, and uh, as a 14-year-old teenager, I wasn't really fully aware of the controversy that happened afterwards because all I remember is the being mesmerised by how her body moved, how fast it was, how smooth it was, how much strength she had um, and she just never looked back. She literally just powered through and ran like the wind. Um, you could literally, obviously, at all Olympic Games, any big kind of events like that, you could feel the, the atmosphere. And I, I almost, I, can, I swear, I can almost remember the, the, uh, the feeling of the hairs on the back of your neck going up when she, she crossed the line. And the, just the experience of that. And it kind of really holds true for me still so many years on remembering that moment. And of course, she was flamboyant. So uh, she had the hair which was curly like mine that literally flew horizontally behind her. She (laughs) ran like the wind. She had the one-legged tracksuit which um, was stylish and uh, obviously she had the nails as well. And that was all part of the experience and all part of what I was mesmerized about. But actually it was just the power of her body that I still remember being really impressed by. And I think that's what's sort of carried me, carried me on. It's more about what your body can do as a woman and how you can almost train your body to be powerful like that if you have the motivation to do it and the inspiration to do it. So running has been my go-to throughout my life. Um, as my life's got busier, as my life has got more hectic, sometimes tough times as well, Um, And I always remember thinking about how you can just run like the wind and just look forward rather than looking behind. And so um, I still put my trainers on regularly. I've inspired my kids to run as well at Park Run, because, of course, running um, is such a powerful way to encourage everyone to come together to do it. You're not limited by age or ability. and that's the bit that has just continued my I suppose love of being active so a few few kind of half marathons and a marathon behind my uh behind me now um uh, Flojo I think is the, the the role model that's kept me going
0: and did it did it feel weird you obviously mentioned her controversies around her as a as an athlete but has that changed your perception of her at all?
11: Um, I mean, at the time, definitely not. And I think even as as I got older, probably not. Um, because it was the feeling that she gave me rather than what happened outside of that. And the relevance that really mattered to me. Um, not necessarily about the world records, interestingly. It was more about her that the whole experience, so you know winning is one thing, but it's actually how your personality inspires others to do that too so so perhaps not um, uh, and obviously as world records continue to be kind of achieved, there is you know a debate about whether or not you know that has made it unachievable for other sprinters but I wonder actually if that is just about her or whether or not that interestingly is about the visibility of of um men versus women 100 meter sprinters and actually are more people interested in the men 100 meters rather than the women 100 meters
12: Well, okay. I'll start by saying that it was my dad who got us into playing badminton in the back garden by working out that a court would just fit if he put it at an angle and marking it out precisely with string and painting paint onto the grass and getting a net and making me and my brother basically addicted to it by the time we were in our mid-teens. And it was a hugely bonding thing. Yeah, my middle brother just literally played for hours every night in the summer and got really good. I have to say, by the time I was about 12, I was pretty bloody good. Um, he also got us into table tennis, which he was really good at. And what was interesting about my dad was he would be um, 95 now. And he had really, really bad childhood asthma, which completely impeded his ability to run as a child. It was before any of the the current drugs were available. So if he got an asthma, like, he literally just had to stop moving and go to bed for three weeks. Uh, but he was really coordinated. So he chose sports that he could do without really you know, being able to control his breathing. And he lost his asthma when he was um so that was why i played table tennis and then when he was about 20 his just disappeared and then he really got into tennis and badminton and stuff so he was the inspiration in terms of getting us into racket sports um and sport generally but he wasn't uh, um he wasn't highly competitive he wasn't remotely aggressive um and so he was the sort of inspiration for that coordination that that amazing high you get when you do the most brilliant shot and it goes literally precisely on the corner of the court but in terms of i, I when i reflected on um, being this is quite sort of typical really being a, a young uh, person in the you know i was born 1968 so probably in the 80s as a netballer lacrosse player badminton player there were no famous women role models the only thing that you where you saw apart from athletics, where you saw women really obviously in England, was Wimbledon. And I never forgot watching Jana Novotna's uh, collapse in the Wimbledon final in 1993, when she'd already, she'd got there by seeing off all the greats of the game, including Navratilova. And she was 4-1 up uh, in the final set to beat Steffi Graf. And she was serving for the, she, she had a, match, a championship point and then she double-faulted and then went on to lose the next five games and lost. And you probably will remember her blubbing on the Duchess of Kent's shoulder afterwards. And I think she was my hero because she, I was really inconsistent in tennis. I was really good at these other things like badminton. I was really inconsistent. But what I was good at was serving and bowling, which is what she was good at. And I can imagine, actually, almost if I got into tennis, I could have, you know, you could imagine I could have related to being in that situation and then totally fluffing it because I never understood how anyone served out to win Wimbledon. I always used to look, say how do you chuck that ball in the air and initiate a shot when you want it that much? So the fact she came back five years later and actually won, I think is really inspiring. And again, she had to be Venus Williams, Martina Hingis and people in 98. Um, weirdly, I just googled her quickly now, and, and I do remember her dying actually three years ago. It's really tragic, but she was also born in the same year I was born, and so all these sort of connections came through. And I thought she's a really interesting woman actually.
0: And how have both those experiences stuck with you now, and and have they influenced your relationship with sport at all?
12: I think I think knowing that you can spectacularly fail. But then pull yourself back together and go on and just keep working that hard and grafting that hard and ultimately achieve what you wanted is just so inspiring to any of us in our kind of lives. In terms because obviously I didn't go into sport professionally. Um, I think it's more affected, that sort of thing more affects everyday life and things that happen in your working life or your home life, knowing that you can you can you can fail and you learn more from failure actually than from success. And that you can have that inner strength to go on. I think with that, I was just like, this is somebody who was written off for, you know, he, he, they really thought he was going to die all the way through his childhood. So there are more photos of him as a baby and a child than any of his siblings. And he was terribly, terribly ill, but ultimately he beat asthma. And he ended up living to the age of nearly 92 and played tennis till he was 85 and bat until he was about the same age. And there's something really inspiring about somebody drawing joy from sport just in that community context all the time, all the way through their life. There's just something great about that, especially when you're really impeded as a kid.
0: Yeah, so
13: I, similar to Steph, actually, I think it's interesting that in my era, so I was born in the 60s um, and you didn't hear so much about women sports uh, people in those in those days. It was it was quite rare and it was almost a bit unusual. And I've picked a couple of people, but the first person I've picked is and I'll explain why is Laura Davies, who was a golfer of the time. Really successful female golfer in the in the 80s and 90s. Um, she's actually in the same sort of school year as me, so same age as me um and she uh lives in Surrey so that makes us a bit similar as well but I think it's a name that stuck with me um and I think one of the reasons was my dad played golf and I used to go to the golf club um and in fact women weren't allowed to join the golf clubs in those times yeah it was completely um wasn't a women's sport at all so that's why hearing that name and associating it with success in golf and she did actually cut through interestingly during that time um was really unusual and you know at a time as I say where women couldn't play golf I don't think some bars wouldn't allow women into the bars so you know it it, she really was a bit of a trailblazer for that reason um and I think when I was growing up it did sort of make me think a bit more about the fact that I didn't have to be limited by what people thought I could play Um, and it did open my eyes a little bit to the fact that actually some of these other sports out there could be played by women it wasn't just an exclusively uh, uh, man's game Um, I think the other reason that I'm quite interested now because I had a little look to see what she was doing now and I, I was really excited to see that she's still playing her 50s so she's still playing some of these tours, not winning, not doing all the amazing things she did um, in her day, but she's still playing in those tournaments, still enjoying the golf. And she doesn't bother that she's now in her 50s and, uh, and, and probably being compared to much younger and uh, much better players now, she's still there. And that for me is real resilience. And it makes me think that you know, you don't have to stop these things. You can have it as a whole lifelong joy that you take with you um, through that time. And and that really inspired me as well. Um, so, yeah, so that, that was really um, somebody that, as I say, was a name that came up and was associated with a sport that I would, I'd never associated with women playing before. Um, and I think probably somebody else just from a more personal level, um, because netball's my game. The time I was still playing county netball, um, it was when the England team was starting to become more prominent and Tracy Neville was the goal attack then. Um, And in fact, she used to play in a county team. So I had the opportunity to sort of see her around and, and play against her when Sussex played against her county team. So it's really nice now to see that she's gone on and she's taken that love of the game and being able to become a coach at the time when the England team has been most successful. Uh, And I always remember at the time as well, there was a whole sort of comparison that was once done uh, between her brothers who were playing for Manchester and uh, uh, for her and how much money they were earning versus how much money she had to pay out in order to be in um, in the England squad. So I can remember, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago that there was so much inequality there. Um, and, and now we're in uh, a time when we're seeing netball played out in big arenas, absolutely packed out, televised. You know, it's a completely different place to be. And, and I'm
0: really sort of pleased to see that it's got to that place. That was our special Role Models episode of the Women in Sport podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, please keep your comments and questions coming in on social media and through our support inbox, support at womeninsport.org. Please visit the research and advice service on our website and check out all our free resources and our new at-home activities page on the news page of our website. Thank you to our sponsors, CSM Live, and we'll see you all again soon.